Hey there, MMI fans. Emma and Sarah Jane are off enjoying a well-earned break, so it's up to me, Colin, aka Maximilian Foy, the producer of MMI, to bring you this very special episode, Murder Most Irish, the best of 2021. So over the next hour, I'm going to be running down all of the highlights of the podcast's first full calendar year. There's going to be laughs, tears and plenty of intrigue as we take a look back at some of the most notorious cases that Emma and Sarah Jane have ever covered. So let's jump into it, get in our time machine and go all the way back to January 2021 when Emma and Sarah Jane had to get a few things off their chest about Hollywood's finest young cannibal. Anna, um, this is why do you want to talk about Army Hammer? This is why Kathleen hates nuns. Army Hammer! Army? <laughs> I enforce Hammer. I informed Sarah Jane today about Army Hammer. It was actually really funny. I was like, did you hear about Army Hammer? And she was like, actually, I'm going to read the I message. I said. <laughs> no, I'm going to read the message. Because <laughs> <laughs> it made me laugh. Because immediately you were like, oh, backtrack, backtrack. <laughs> um, I said, because uh, I had sent you that message about Jeff Bezos' sex. Yes. Alive girl. Alive, Alive girl. I love you, alive girl. So I said, see him and his wife separated last year and everyone was like, why? Blah, blah, blah. Army Hammer. Army Hammer and his wife. So turns out he has a harem of women he calls kittens scattered around the world who he would meet for sex and BDSM. And Sarah went, ooh, I'd absolutely be into that. Ha ha. But I said, then the main thing he was into was wanting to eat pieces of their skin and drink their blood. And you were like, ah, I take it back. I take it back. Jesus Christ, what the actual fuck. But yeah. And then for some reason, Sarah made the executive decision. <laughs> to deep dive. But Sarah deep dived while she was on a work conference call on video but I wasn't expected to talk so I was supposed to be listening but I was deep diving this army hammers situation and reading all of the screenshots yeah. of all of the weird shit he said yeah. allegedly and then someone mm. in that uh, conference call sent me a private message to be like what are you looking at because it's really obvious that your you're looking at something like, I was literally like um, Jim literally was like you've gone bright red <laughs> And I was like, because some of it's very hard to read. Well, like listen, ninety percent. There's laughing afraid. and joking, but I think Army Hammer may be a serial I think killer or he, a sociopath. Like he he said in he said. The following is a trigger warning for descriptions of graphic violence against women and cannibalism. In one screenshot, I am one hundred percent a cannibal. Openly admitted to it. He said, I in am, a text message. In a text message, she said, "I am one hundred percent cannibal. I have." Killed a live a, a, an animal, animal and, and eaten, its, eaten heart. its heart while it was still warm. Yeah. I think about holding your, your heart, heart in my hand and mm. how hard it would make me to feel your heart pump in he, my hand. He wanted to have sex with pieces of skin. He also and her wanted brain. to rape women. Yeah, he was mad. It was a lot of rape going and on. And there was a lot of text messages back and forth <clears> with <throat> women who had agreed to be in these scenarios yeah. with him. Who had messaged him to be like, you went too far. You went too far. There was no safe word. Yeah. You didn't follow my safe yeah. word. And like be- putting be- up screenshots of the damage he had done to their neck. Because like BDSM is all them. about like control, not control, all about um, making sure you're safe. That's the safety thing about it where you have to be like, there has to be a safety element to this where we both agree to it. But he just seems to want to like have sex with a skull. I don't. You what know, he, the um, fuck? He may be an Ed Kemper. Like, listen, no kink shaman. Do whatever you want. Like, but... When you're talking about murdering women and fucking their corpses and drinking their and they're blood. drinking their blood and, and eating their skin. There was a sorry, I'm like, trigger warning. Yeah, oh god, we should have trigger warned the fuck out of this. We'll have to put that in. <laughs> there was also a, a anally rape you with your own blood yes, as a lubrication. I saw that that one fucked me up. That I was, was like, like sorry, uh, what? okay, this dude needs to what? this guy needs to because I Talk honestly I'll tell you somebody. what I was doing I was on Twitter the other night because I had to and I someone needs to dig up his back garden <laughs> telling you dig up that fucking porch in his gaff uh, I was on Twitter because I was complaining to somebody I wasn't complaining but I was asking something to a store I can't remember who it was it was something I wanted to Fuck buy online Karen. no I was literally like <laughs> can I order this to blah 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 I can't remember it was some clothes that I wanted to buy they were very nice I can't remember they were but uh, I just clicked on the little search button and it came up and it was like army hammer cannibal I was like eh is he playing a cannibal and then I was like oh my god <laughs> And people were like, it's not real. And then the girl was like, well, I have more. I have more. Like, she has pictures of his hands and stuff. Yes. And like, picture of like, did you see the picture where he had, did you see the mannequin picture? No. Oh my God. So, there's a picture of his pool. Yes. And he has a mannequin torso. And he's done that shibari 
What's shibari? Shibari is like Japanese rope stuff. Yeah. Shibaro, shibari. I think it's what it's called. And uh, he's kind of holding the rope on the mannequin's just, it's so odd because it is actually like a serial killer thing. Naked mannequin, shibari rope tied around it. And then you can see his wrist and it has his tattoo. Because so, these women had that tattoo. Yeah. So he has the D, whatever it is, DL, blah, 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 tattoo. And he has it on his wrist here. So people, because people were like, it's fake, it's fake. And she was like, is this fake? And then people were like, oh. He has a DL tattoo on his wrist and he has a tattoo Little, on his finger. Is it like a skull or, or a crown or something yeah, on his finger? And, yeah. And um, <clears throat> these women got those tattoos. When I tell you this is so much like the Nixium cult. Did you watch that Nixium cult documentary? I didn't. Yeah. But I know about it. It's very like... Um, a, now listen, uh, allegedly, not that anybody's listening to this is important. This is just what... Allegedly me holy did it! <laughs> this is just what's on Instagram at the moment, but... Do you know what fuck. I hate? Do you know what I hate? Go. Here's what I'm going to say. Go. Tell me. grinds my gears. What grinds your gears? Why do we live in a society... We live in a society... Where we allow the normal reaction... To someone abused. saying that they were abused is free society to instantly Dis- say that the abuser abused. is lying. Yeah. And not... Say the abuse, abusee is lying and say the abuser yeah, is lying. Yeah, abusee is lying. And oh, not 100%. The, not That's what people, person- that is people's literal go-to. I don't know if that happened. Well, millions of women are raped every single day. So I feel like I would agree, I would more side with that than the 0.1% of women that lie about it. Also... What is I did, it? there's some other guys on that put up like a Facebook video and he was like in the like cadence of lying about famous people who the fuck is going to make up the army hammer is like, cannibal who the fuck cares about army hammer like, like nobody cares about army hammer but it's in like seven movies like literally nobody cares but like I I always thought he was a fucking weirdo because I was telling you earlier uh, there's a journalist who wrote an article about him and the article was basically stating that Hollywood tried to push army hammer as the next big you know they superstar did. Been, uh, for a period of time yeah they were trying to push him and push him and push him and it wasn't working and she was like the reason it wasn't working is because his creep factor comes off so strongly and he cannot hide it and if that is absolutely true even in Call Me By Your Name I was like this dude's a fucking creep yeah. like he just has this thing about him a ser- she said it she was like he has a serial killer vibe and he sent his fans after her on Twitter and she was getting death threats and then yesterday when this all came out she re-uploaded the article and she was like now he's right I was like yes bitch fuck him off I can't remember, the, I can't remember her name but I'll, I'll find, find it later stuff. Back in August, the girls covered the tragic 1991 murder of Penny McAllister at the hands of her husband's lover, Susan Christie. Emma and Sarah Jane could not hide their disgust at the cringe-worthy conduct of Duncan McAllister as he pursued an affair that led to his wife's death. Right from the first side, it was obvious that Duncan and Susan were kind of like into each other, but it was more obvious that she was like blatantly flirting with him and she kind of like openly did this in front of other people Um, by early summer um, Duncan found himself relishing and flirting and beginning to respond in kind shocker during a a diving expedition the two apparently were temporarily alone on the boat while the others explored an old wreck and McAllister made like kind of essentially was like listen you're attracted to me I'm attracted to you but like I ain't leaving my wife. He's like at least he's. Ah, uh, there's nothing good about that. Um, and he warned Christy that having an affair would have to be in secret as it would destroy their careers. He also emphasised that the attraction was purely physical. Oh, and likely to be of short duration. <laughs> he's like, I fucking hate you, but listen, I want to have the ride, yeah. so. But most importantly, he told her that he had no intention of ever leaving Penny, who he apparently loved dearly. The bar is in hell, lads. Now, what I would like to say, Roy, is this is all his own side of the story. He was saying, I told her, Roy, that I just I didn't like her. I just was having sex with her. And I never leave my wife. I really loved my wife, Penny. And then she went, okay. Yeah. That happened. That conversation happened. But, lads... There's two versions of what transpired between Duncan and Susan. And let's review. That was Duncan's version first. Okay. So, and I'll go through a bit more tame. He claims, although he flattered with Susan's advances, he was fair and square with her. This is his words, by the way. He told her to turn off the charm unless she intended to go all the way. (laughs) I know! What the fuck? 
Susan apparently responded favor like this is clearly written by someone that was in the army by the way. Susan responded favorably to the suggestion. She was like, okay. And she would be up for a bit of fun. I hate everyone involved in this thing. I hate everybody in- involved in the story. Yeah. Except for the lovely Penny. She agreed, and she agreed not only to a one night stand, but yep. to an ongoing affair. Yep. As an added incentive, she revealed that she was a virgin. Incentive! <laughs> so he, this is all his, like, he was like, oh, you know, she was down for it. And then she was like, actually, I'm a virgin also. Like, lucky you. Incentive! Yes. 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 Duncan succumbed and the pair made love. Oh, for fuck's sake, Sarah Jane. Now, here's what I would say. Nothing about what's just being said above <laughs> is love. No. Made uh, love after he was like, I think you're a fucking wretched no, I did right, right? So he said that they made love in the great outdoors beside a romantic lake. And I just wrote, because people are the worst. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> he, men. Anyway, go on. Men. Now, here's... Susan's side of things. I was not fucking virgin. Susan admitted that she was a virgin at the time oh, okay, of their um, first sexual Trist. first sexual encounter, but that was only the only truthful statement in Duncan's version of their liaison. I absolutely believe it. And according to her, this is the only truthful word in his statement at the beginning of their relationship. Okay. She claimed that she desired to retain her virginity, but that Duncan implored and coaxed and pressured her until one day he lured her to his home and seduced her in his own bed. His poor wife. Okay, what the fuck? On the scuba diving expedition, Susan told Duncan she wanted to have sex in a novel manner. (laughs) I hate that's why I have sex all the time. I hate it. matter. human beings. Like I hate it. Uh, something he and Penny had never done. What does that mean? I'm about to say what that means. So they decided oh to have God. sex underwater. Because they were both scuba divers. How? I don't know how. And apparently they made love 20 meters under the chilly waters of ascension while his penis and balls were inside (laughs) his stomach despite the obvious trails Duncan began to tire of his new lover (laughs) (laughs) what is this (laughs) when I was writing this what is this shot do you know what I was I was trying to go for I was thinking about all those trashy now oh the trappy yeah 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 and I was like I'm going to write like that what a tryst yeah because like last week's episode was very difficult sorry I'm sorry (laughs) one of our personal highlights of the year was signing up with the Go Loud platform to bring our little podcast to a wider audience our first episode on the Go Loud app was our second annual Halloween special where we read out some absolutely terrifying listener stories the highlight of the show was from listener Christina Spaulding, who frightened the bejesus out of the girls with a pair of paranormal pictures that Emma couldn't even look at. So this one's from Christina Spaulding. Did I say that's right name. The house I lived in when I was 10 to around 19 was over 200 years old and was very haunted. She's straight in. Straight in. No preamble on this No one. fucking. No bullshit. She's no foreplay here. <laughs> She's kissing and she ain't missing. Straight into fuck. Straight to fucking. She's dropped the hand. <laughs> so many people saw ghosts apart from me and my family. So many people saw ghosts apart from me and my family. Literally seeing full-blown apparitions of people ra- ra- ranging from a young girl to an old man in the top hat. There are a few stories, but the main one that I still think about happened to me when I was at home alone. My mom, brother and sister were out and I was planning on calling to my friend's house, but she was having dinner. So I had an hour or so to kill before I was leaving to call for her. So I was in my bedroom, which was the room next to the sitting room. The house was a bungalow. And the next thing I heard people talking coming from the sitting room. It was muffled voices, but I could hear older people and kids all talking at the same time. I knew it wasn't my family, so straight away I was freaked out. Oh God. I walked towards the door and I opened it and seen what was going on and I heard, shh. Oh, no. And the voices stopped. No. Well, I legged it from the house so fast and interrupted my friend's dinner. 
I was used to the ghost at that, at that stage, but that scared the shit out of me, probably because I was on my own at the time and they were all friendly and never did anything to harm anyone. It was almost like they used to just co they just coexisted in the house with us. I've some pictures to share with you too. <laughs> Not from the house in my story, but still creepy. So the first one is my boyfriend. The first one, my boyfriend was home alone one night in our old apartment while I stayed at my mom's and he was out that night with work and came home locked and started sending me drunk selfies. Oh no. <clears throat> I've blanked out his face because he's very drink drunk and he would not be happy to know I showed you all. But if you zoom in and look in the top left corner of the picture, it looks Sarah. like the top of someone's head. You can even see their hair sticking up in their face. Perfect. No. <laughs> it, it's so creepy. We didn't see it at first. I only noticed it months later. We'd moved out. Are you going to look at it? I was taking the piss out of him with the picture. Still gives me the creeps uh, when we look at it. Ah! That's terrifying! Oh my oh, I'm god! Not, I can't look at I won't sleep, I won't sleep! Fucking I won't sleep! <laughs> I won't sleep, I won't sleep, you show me I won't sleep, I won't sleep! I won't sleep, I won't sleep, I won't sleep, I know I won't sleep. I'm glad you didn't read the story! <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> and then this one is me and my friend having drinks in her kitchen. We took a selfie and added a filter to try and make ourselves look a bit less locked in a mess. Ha ha. Managed to catch what looks like a ghost photobombing us. There was nobody else in the kitchen and there's nothing behind us that could explain this. Oh my God, this is fucking... Sarah, stop. <gasps> what the fuck? That was like Marilyn Manson. I literally <laughs> the one with her the one with her um is 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 terrifying. It's like much okay, worse. I know I won't sleep. I won't sleep. I won't sleep tonight if I look at that. I know I won't. Is it really scary? It's just so random. And it really looks like a person. It just definitely looks like something. Like it looks like it it's not like it looks like Oh no. Thank you so much for that story and those terrifying pictures. 2021 was the year of the shill because we set up our very own Patreon. And after a few months of experimenting, we found the right format with shows like Music Most Awesome, Miscellaneous Most Irish, and of course, the fan favourite MMI Drive. One of the highlights of the Patreon has been Sarah Jane's constant updates on her co-worker Jim and his stories of his childhood in Northern Ireland. Into this kind of oh my god, thing. I forgot because I haven't seen you. Jim told me like all of his IRA stories. Like, they gold mines. I forgot. Oh my god, are they good? Like, we had to change his name, good. Can we keep, can we tell one? Or yes. Just tell one. Um, so he told me so many like Jim is like people from the north of a certain age are just so traumatised oh yeah and he was also saying that so um, he came down to work on Tuesday and literally we did no work um, but, I, love those, <laughs> I love those days and we were just sitting like shooting shit all day um, and he was saying so we started to kind of talk about like incidents that had happened in the north and I think he was kind of taken back about how like aware I was of like certain scenarios and like certain bits of history and he was like and then the whole story started because we were talking about like when you were in school yeah and like the shit you got up to in school and um he was saying he like he was like you used to throw halfers and I was like what the fuck is a halfer he was like a half a brick and I was like, what? And he, was like, and he went to me, because like the projectile of a like full brick is not that far. So you need to break them in half to get them to a good distance. And I was like, Jim, I've never thrown a brick. Or a halfer. But okay. I love that they call them halfers. Yeah, he was like a halfer. You have to throw a halfer. And I was like, what? <laughs> but he was also saying that like, because I was saying to him, we got into like some details. So you know the story that I did about the uh, funeral? Yeah. Um, he was there that day. Fuck off. He li- he said my house. He said like we live right beside. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. He said I was sent to the shop. He said and I walked past and he said and not every it had all kind of started to kick off outside. So he was like I wasn't I was there at the. So obviously the, we talked about the shooting in the cemetery yes. and then the shooting at the funeral. The funeral, yeah. Um, well it wasn't shooting, just the two guys in the fucking with the with yeah. the gun in the car, yeah. yeah. Um. 
and he was like and it all just and he said I was standing beside the photographer and the photographer was taking pictures and he said he mentioned a name and I can't remember the name but like he said he just came over and he said he pulled the film out of the camera in front of the photographer and he said he just looked at you Jim said he was like 11 or like a little bit younger and he just went to him off you go home now son and he said, and I just knew. Ran, he said, stars. I just went home. He said, and I just knew. He said, and he said, but like, even he was like, but like the logistics of those two people being together and what they were up to, he was like, it was a full setup. Full he was setup. like, they were in the aria. He was like, they were in the fucking SAS. Like, like full setup. He was like, there's just no possible way that like this guy was just showing him around. He was like, the whole thing was just bonkers. But anyway, so he was saying like, he was talking about the difference between him and his dad. So he was like, it's, he said, what was really odd. He was like, is like, I was born, he said, and the troubles kind of erupted. Yeah. He said, but before that, there had been relative peace. Yeah. Um, he said, so my, he said, what I always felt really bad about is that, like, my dad had had, like, this, my dad and my parents had had this really kind of, not a nice upbringing or, like, but, like he a was, less like, violent there was upbringing. relative peace. People weren't at the same level. And yeah. he said, and then they had us and the trouble started. And then they just did not know what to do and there was no way to get us out of here. And how the fuck do you know what to do? Like, And he was like, and there was just no way to get us out. Yeah. He was like, it was just, and he was like, and because I was like, it's so, because when he, the hell that conversation came out was because he told me all these stories and we were laughing and joking about it. Yeah. And I was like, but realistically, Jim, that's like really messed up. Like that's traumatizing. Yeah. One of the stories he told me was, he said in, he said the British army, so Jim is up from the Falls Road. Yeah. He said the British army used to drive in combatant okay he said and they used to do circles he said and then he said quite often he said if they came across a like bunch of youths he said they used to like almost like be at us he was like so they keep looping so they'd like and he said like that was part of the military military That's discourse did, he like. was like the plan was to constantly keep us in discourse and to constantly keep us in this state of yeah, like yeah. he was like that was part of like one of the what like were, techniques yeah. of what they were using to try and like somehow like make sure that the other side were winning yeah, almost yeah, yeah, yeah. and he was like so he was like that was one of the things he said but like he said we were kids yeah, sure he says we didn't know any better he said so like what we used to quite often do he said because they drive in combat like in a combatant he said so you'd never get one truck so you usually get three to six trucks and he said and there'd be six people in each one right. so there were Land Rovers and they had a glass top yeah, yeah, yeah. so they used to stand up out of it with their AK-47s and he was like and we were like kids he said but we used to throw shit at them he said and they used to to irritate us because they were wearing their helmets they used to like headbutt them and be like eh, and like they'd continue and he was like I don't know if they were trying to irritate us or if they were trying to somehow like be like we're friendly. We're friendly, yeah. He was like, but it never came across if they were friendly. He was like, but one year it snowed, he said, and we were pelting snowballs at it. He said, but one of the lads put a halfer in a snowball. Shit. He said, and the, uh, he said, um, a guy um, got up and he took his helmet off because there were just snowballs being thrown. And he got mangled. And he said, it hit him and he said, it just split him open like Jim said to me Jim was like if I had been he said I didn't throw the rock he said but we were so good at throwing shit he was like if we had been in the in America we would have been all baseball players yeah he was like I could throw like a brick at like a fucking some distance yeah, like. yeah, yeah. and I was like alright we were just laughing about it he was like but he was like I never forget the sound of that and I remember it just split him he said and I remember all the trucks just stopped he said and then all of us just fucking scattered scattered but it was during school they were on their lunch break and they'd all just left the yard he said so we all fucking pelted it back to school he said and he said they they, they like drove they after school. but they, he said they drove after us he said we ran back into the school he said we got into the yard and one of the brothers came out and the brothers clearly knew something was up because they were like you weren't here like five seconds yeah, what's ago happening, like? and as they all got into the yard their brother they were like they're after us they're after us and, the, and they were like the Brits are after us the Brits are after us so the brother went up and closed the gates and put the locks on and he said and as he did it the military just like skidded up and they were like let like they were going to drive through the gates and the brother just rolled up his sleeves and took his collar off and just stood at the gate and was like you're not getting in and he said they all got out of the car and were like pointing their guns at him this is fucking terrifying and they were like, like let, us he, let us in and the guy was like they're children they're children you cannot come in and then he said that it became quite, heat, quite heated and they were calling him terrible names 
and he was like you're not coming into the school are you gonna, he was like are you going to drive over a priest like you're not you're not coming into the school but he made he'd made all of the kids go into their classrooms he said but everybody's just up at the windows watch them um it was insane and then he said what we used to do is quite often he said this is really popular he said we used to go and get paint he said you'll notice in all of the videos of like north of Belfast in particular there's all like in all of these states there's paint everywhere all over the ground and it's always a different colour he said we used to throw paint at the like combat. he was like the reason we did it it was almost to tell you where they had been oh so it was like marked yeah so they, he was like we'd fill like milk bottles and we like lash them, yeah. He said, and then quite often we'd get um he said we'd get like bangers. He said and we'd um put <laughs> put, in put, milk put, put them in milk bottles and launch them and he said and then the whole thing come to a halt and then they'd all get out because they thought something had gone off. He said then we'd all throw shit at them. <laughs> hey Colin, tell us about the Patreon. Sure thing, Lily Pops. Hey there MMI fans, it's me, Colin, and do I have news for you. It's all going down over at www.patreon.com forward slash Irish, where we've totally revamped our Patreon offering for you mega fans. That's right, now all of your favourite Patreon stuff can be found in one place as we bring you our MMI Super Show, exclusively for Patreon, featuring all the usual banter and chat between Emma and Sarah Jane, plus me thrown into the bargain, along with Lily's Tales, Maximilian's Bell Bag, and some surprises along the way. But that's not all. Every single week, due to popular demand, we will be bringing you a full-length story, whether it be Miscellaneous Most Irish for those cases that just don't fit on the main show, Murder Most International for those cases you guys have been crying out for, or even Music Most Awesome where we talk about our favourite albums. But wait, there's even more! How about MMI Drive, the fan-favourite podcast show where Emma and Sarah Jane drive around Dublin talking about all sorts the shite, plus our monthly Ask Me Arse segment where you get to pick the brains of the girls and maybe even ask me a question or two. So what are you waiting for? Come on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Irish and join in the fun for only six euros a month. Give my mommy six euros. Of course, the whole point of Murder Most Irish is tackling the oftentimes heinous murders that take place here on the island of Saints and Scholars. This year, Emma and Sarah Jane talked about some of the most notorious crimes to ever happen in Ireland, including the infamous killing of Farah Swale Noor at the hands of Linda and Charlotte Mulhall, otherwise known as the Scissor Sisters. Folks, from here on out, the show has a trigger warning for murder, violence, sexual assault and some pretty deep cutting stuff so just a trigger warning folks as we press on with these stories he then grabbed and said we're both creatures of the night oh good lord she tells him to give it up but at this point he's like getting more and more like handsy he won't stop she's like telling him to please stop Um, she tells him to give it up he persists persists and he grabs her and he won't let her go she begs him to stop and at this point Kathleen is said to have said to her daughters because at this point they're all screaming and she's like just leave her alone and like it's just like at a point now where it's about to boil over and Kathleen just says quietly just kill him for me just kill him for me and she says it over and over again just kill him for me just kill him for me if you don't kill him I'm, I, I'm going to he's going to kill me you need to kill him for me. So the next bit I'm going to go into is like an absolute trigger warning. This is not an easy thing to hear. And pretty much for the rest of the story until I get to the court is just graphic. Violently yeah, graphic. Violently yeah. graphic. Okay. Charlotte goes into the kitchen and grabs a standing knife. She walks up behind Noor and slits his throat as he's holding Linda. He fell over and cr- he crawls towards the bathroom. He called out for Kathleen, but Charlotte comes up behind him again and slashes his throat again. Oh, Jesus. He tries to get up, but Linda gets a claw hammer and begins hitting Nora in the head as he's lying on the ground, bleeding out from the stab wounds in his neck in the midst of the bloodbath. They continue to stab him for up to 20 times. This is between the bathroom and the bedroom, and it's the flat that they're in is tiny. So he... Tries to crawl into the bathroom. She continuously stabs him and it kind of happens between like his bedroom and Kathleen's bedroom and kind of into the bathroom. Right. 
Kathleen's sitting in the, in the sitting room and the girls just close the bedroom door and continue, continue to do what they're doing. So she just sits in the sitting room? She sits and just sits there silently. Dude, what the fuck? They continue to stab him up to 20 times in the bathroom in the bedroom. They then came out of the bedroom holding hands and told their mother Nor was dead. Holding hands? Yep. Okay, that's not creepy. She's been sitting in the living room during the entire attack. The three women, three women sob uncontrollably and wail together. But then they realised they had to get rid of his body out of this tiny flat. So they live in a flat in Summer Hill that's like connected to like another house. It's like four flats in one house. Okay. Um, Where's Summer Hill, sir? Uh, you know, if you walk, if you go up O'Connell Street and then take a right past Fibbers. Yes. If you keep walking down there, uh, yeah. that's Summer Hill. I know it is, yeah. Um, so, they're sobbing uncontrollably. They now realise that they have to, like, that he's dead. Um, and they have to get his body out, out of, of this, this, like, fucking tiny, tiny flat that, like, shares an entrance. So... Getting a body out of it with, with no one seeing was not really feasible. They moved Nora's body into the small shower room, which is six foot down the hallway, and they go and get a bread knife. Oh, a bread knife! They don't have anything. This isn't like a, an attack that they planned. They don't have anything, and they don't have any money, and they're also on drugs, and it like they haven't they haven't slept. Like, this is fucking insane. I didn't know any of this. <laughs> Kathleen stays in the living room and she would not see what is about to be done to Nora's body. The sisters use a mix of a bread knife, a Stanley knife and a claw hammer to dismember his body. It took about four hours to complete. By the time the girls are complete, the flat is a complete mess. They remove... The next bit is extremely graphic. They remove his penis and his head from his body. The penis bit is said to be important because it demonstrates this like psychologically what was said in court is that like they, they were taken away that from him they were taken like, that away from him yeah. they were taken like power they yeah, were like yeah, yeah. you'll never do and it said that like he abused the girls multiple times in the time of like Kathleen's relationship but it's also like apparent that he was abusing Kathleen now to be fair Kathleen is no angel Kathleen apparently gave as good as she got yeah um, imagine trying to cut through bone with a bread knife I won't go into the detail no, no, or we can cut to. it out, but like there's a there's a, a whole section about like they used like the claw hammer for like the knees and stuff because they had to Oh Jesus Christ. Yeah. Ugh. They remove his penis and his head from his body. Linda Linda dismembers his head further. So she like cuts it up more? Yeah, she like there was blood everywhere shivers. <laughs> in the flat. All of the towels and the girls' clothing was completely covered in blood. But now no, now that Nor is in eight more manageable pieces, <laughs> they had to figure out how and when to get his body out of the flat. They planned to dump the body in the canal. Now, it's said that Kathleen is the person that's, like, telling them what, what to, to do, do and how to get rid of this body and what way is the best way to do it. But she doesn't take place in any of it. They need help. So Kathleen uh, calls the girl's dad's dad, John Mulhall. Did he come? They couldn't take a shower because Nora's body was in the shower. Oh my God. So they started to pack his body into plastic bags and then moved him into sports bags. They now start packing his things, but they take his jewellery and any money he had. They left all of his belongings in a bag for the rubbish collection. They would tell people Nor had left and went to one of his ex-girlfriend's house. At 1am, their father arrives. He is greeted by Kathleen at the door and she bluntly told him what their, fa- what their, do- what they had done. their daughters had done. She says what they have done, that she had nothing to do with it. Oh and that they had killed Nor. He flies into a rage and he throws things around the house. He's furious and he left saying this was far too serious for him to get involved. The girls were devastated but also exhausted as they had not slept. They both went to bed in the room they had killed Norin. Kathleen stays in in the other part of the house and begins cleaning the house ferociously. She gets bleach and boiling water and scrubs the shower. The shower took an hour and a half to clean. But the girls can't sleep 
because of what they've course, done. Yeah. So they get up and they're, they come in and help her. They begin cleaning the walls and the toilets become blocked because they start flushing things down the toilet, essentially. Gore down the toilet. The first cleaning of the bathroom takes over five hours. These women haven't slept. Like, we're now on day two. They now moved into the bedroom. There was five. There was a five-foot-wide blood stain on the floor and there was blood spatter on the walls and ceiling. The women spent the entire night cleaning the apartment. By morning, they were cleaning themselves up and trying to get ready to move on to the next part of their plan of the clean-up to get rid of the body. And by 6am, the doorbell of the flat begins to buzz. All the women, women are panicked and it buzzes and it buzzes again until finally they realise it's their dad at the door, John. Okay. He said he could not change what happened, but he would help them. He begins stripping the bed and removing all the towels. He packs three black bags of items from the house and puts them into his van. We're going to dr- jump now to the 13th of July. Okay. The bags were stored in his garden shed until the 13th of July. John took them out of his shed and was working on a house in Leakslip at the time in County Kildare, which backed onto the River Liffey. Okay. He was seen throwing three bags of rubbish and a wheelie bin into the river. Um, <laughs> and after when everything has happened, the river is like fully like the divers go in and, yeah. t- and they find like essentially a wheelie bin with the number 31 in it, which is his house. They find... Jesus <laughs> Christ! burnt items and other bits and pieces in the bag but there was nothing that they con- conclusively said came from the murder scene but it, and he says that he he admits to it he says I was fly tipping um, but he said there was nothing in it from the murder it goes to show how like unprepared and they're not like no. super criminals you no. know what I mean like he's fly tipping and people watch him fly tip like they don't absolutely anything. they don't say anything to him um oh, Jesus so at 7am on the 21st of March, the three women left the flat with Linda and Charlotte carrying black sports bags. They walked to Summerhill into the, they walked from Summerhill into the city centre and then down to the Royal Canal on the north side of the city. Now, the north side of the city where their throne is right beside Crow Park. It's also like one of the main areas in and out of the city centre. So it's not quiet. It's like 7am on the 21st of March. People are going to work. Of course, yeah. They walk along the canal and look for a secluded area and they empty their bags into cana- into the canal. They did this continuously. It took up to eight trips to dispose Nora's body. And they had left all the towels and cloths steeping in hot water and bleach. So on the last trip, when they made their way back to the flat, they cleaned again. Yeah. They then, they then dumped the bags of cloth, towels and, uh, into the bins outside the flat in Summerhill. Uh, now they started to plan how they would get rid of Norse head because they decided they wouldn't throw that into the water. They decided they would bury the head in a park where they were both familiar with in Tala. I don't know why this decision is made. This would mean heading into town to get a bus across the city centre whilst carrying Norse head in a bag. They headed back to the house. They found a camera bag to put the head in. They made... And then made the cross county journey because Tala is not no, close. No, it's not close. They stopped for a breakfast roll first before getting onto the bus with a dead man's head in the ba- in a bag. Would it not be reeking? I don't think it starts to like because it's only like the next day. Oh, it's the next day. But I just don't imagine being on that bus. I don't know. Imagine then knowing that you're on like, that bus because this just gets bag. like even weirder. They were eating. <laughs> They were breakfast, breakfast rolls. rolls. There's CCTV footage of them in buying breakfast rolls in town on I in a convenience store. I don't think store. I would be able to eat. No, I don't think I'd be able to. So I would be like, "There is a head in this bag, yeah. sir." Like, I don't think I'd be able to function. No, like they like but I'm not again, making you... excuses for what they did. But these aren't these. Now we're in like we're now into. Then, like, they've gone and done eight trips to the, the river. They've yeah, they're killed, obviously delusional, I'd say, at this him. point. They've slept for an hour and a half. Yeah. They've chopped his body up, which took, like, four hours. Yeah. They've done, like, they have not slept. Mm. Um, it's either at that level of delusion where you're just like, I don't know what's happening. I'm, and they're on dro- massive, massive drugs. drugs. Yeah. 
It's no secret that Murder Most Irish is a feminist podcast at its core. Emma and Sarah Jane are proudly passionate about feminism and will never back away from giving a full-blooded and honest account of their own feelings when it comes to issues that affect women. Never was this more obvious than when Emma told the story of the harrowing death of Savita Halepanaver and the events that led to the Eighth Amendment being repealed in Ireland. So in 2017, Arul... Kumaran yeah. commented that a significant significant contributing factor to Halapanavar's death was Ireland's restrictive abortion law. Yeah. Now, that gentleman, the lovely conservative groups in Ireland went after him really? and started saying that he was pro-abortion because he would carry out abortions on women that wanted them and also women that were going to die if they didn't get them. So they were like, this guy's pro-abortion, so his like findings are going to be warped. No. He understands, he is a gynecologist and understands that women need help. And help, not in the way that Ireland's like, oh, save the babies! Except the ones that are being raped and sold to America. Fuck them. Mm. Anyway, in response to the many, many protests after Savita's death, the Irish government introduced the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act 2013. Having passed both houses of the Oireachtas in July 2013, it was signed into law on 30th of July by Michael D. Higgins, the President of Ireland. Savita became the face of the Irish abortion referendum in 2018. A mural of Savita's face was painted on the wall beside the Bernard Shaw pub in Portobello. And in weeks leading up to the final vote, messages were affixed to the wall. Do you remember this? Yeah. One poignantly read. Sorry we were too late. But we are here now. We didn't forget you. So Orla O'Connor, co-director of Together for Yes. Yes, Together for Yes was the movement to get abortion legalised in Ireland. Was in her first year uh, as chief executive of the National Women's Council of Ireland. And she said, Savita's death shifted the whole conversation about abortion. People were so shocked and felt it could have happened to them. We had so many calls to the council from men as well, asking what they could do to campaign for change. So this is from Wikipedia. Verbatim, I just copied this. So on 20th of May 2018, the parents of Halapanaver called for a yes vote in Ireland's referendum on the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. Mm. With her father saying, I hope the people of Ireland will vote yes for abortion, for the ladies of Ireland and the people of Ireland. Emma, stop it! (laughs) My daughter, she lost her life because of this abortion law, because of the diagnosis, and she could not have an abortion. She died. So on the 25th of May 2018, the people of Ireland voted yes to repeal the Eighth Amendment by a margin of two to one. Mm. So uh, Savita's father said, I have no words to express my gratitude to the people of Ireland at this historic moment. We got justice for Savita. In March 2016, Praveen Halapanavar settled with the HSE for an undisclosed six-figure sum. And he deserves every, every fucking, fucking penny. penny of it. Savita Halapanavar was buried in Balgam on Saturday the 3rd of November 2012. Mm. So that is the story of Savita Halepanavar, her horrific death that never should have happened. She was murdered. She was murdered. And how, in some weird, fucked up, warped, disgusting way, she, she brought a, man, a massive amount of change. She gave a face, even though we've had so many faces, so many faces, it was just so horrific. And it was so in the media and social media was there and everybody was like, this woman died in agony in agony because somebody in a hospital was like we're Catholic we're Catholic we're Catholic so we can't do that and then all these motherfuckers saying that the abortion campaigners were were using her death as like a means to like prove a point or trying to get her she was the means to she prove a point she was the means to prove a point because it happened to yeah, her it happened to her so they'll she, uh, and like the thing as well is it's different if she had said I don't believe in abortion and I don't want one. Yeah. But she, before she even got to the hospital, she was like, I want to have an abortion abortion. if something's wrong. Yeah, I can't carry And then when she got to the hospital, they were like, well, actually, you're fully, like, she was fully dilated. Her body was in full labour and had nothing to push out. Um, Like she, her water's broken, the baby didn't leave. No. She would have been, like, when I say agony. Yeah. She was like, and Praveen just kept saying like, please help my wife. And he was like, Oh, there was a doctor, a professor that Praveen was friends with and he rang him and he was like, he's a doctor. He's like, what, what can I do? So the doctor came to visit him and, and Savita and he said, I saw her charts and I knew she was going to die. So he was like, I tried to talk to the doctors. I tried to talk to the nurses. I tried to do something. He was like, but they were just like, no, 
there is a heartbeat so we are refusing to do anything to help your wife who has sepsis sepsis like she's writhing in agony and they're giving her paracetamol because there's a fetal heartbeat for a baby that's going to die anyway and they try to justify this there's no justification for no. it and as I said it's so fucked up that she had to become the face of something but like the fact that her parents are like we are happy that our daughter helped you well I think as a legacy right so as a legacy to like a woman that like that's horrific and that what happened like she knew she was dying she knew she was dying like and the people who were supposed to protect her did not yep. so by and watch and right. said we're a catholic country mm-hmm. and the writing like if you had any form of compassion in that moment wouldn't you ring the like irish times anybody you would wouldn't have picked you up ring a phone rang say, a radio station anonymously yeah, rang a radio station and said, like we have a lady here who is dying, dying and we are refusing, and we are refusing to, to give her treatment yeah. Like, imagine being her husband and he's like, please, 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 please. Away. imagine like going to a friend, going to like your friend who's a doctor and yeah. being like, can you help us? Yeah. And the doctor being like, she's dying. She's dying. Like her parents know she's dying. They're, they've already been told their grand- grandchild is dead. And then, like, and then it, he the lost whole, his wife and his child. And this whole thing of like, the, the people are just using her. She asked for she it. asked for an abortion. There's a difference. Yeah, she she asked. isn't someone who said, do you know what? I don't, as, just let me It's die. not my belief and yeah. I don't believe in abortion yeah. and so I don't want to have yeah. one. She was like, I'm dying and I don't want to die yeah. and I would like to have an abortion and she asked three times and her husband asked a fourth time mm-hmm. for her on her behalf. Um, and that is the point. Yeah. And, and that, that is, is she. This is po- women's bodies. You make women's bodies political when you put all these rules and regulations yeah. on them. You make women. You have made women's bodies political. So you're allowed to politicize our bodies, but we're, we're not, not allowed to politicize. We're not allowed our to individuals. respond to the political. We're not allowed. To, we're like, just meant to sit down and like this. I did this story. As I said I was talking to my mum, just about Besborough House and some other things that had happened and how. In this country, we for for the last fifty to sixty to seventy years we're just massacring women. We're massacring them. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that their body produces, which is a baby, which brings it to the world and lets life continue and the world continue, this amazing, incredible thing. And we're punishing them for it. Like in 2012 Ireland, women couldn't, didn't have any power say over their bodies. We were getting on boats. Mm hiding and shame and fear there's 14 and 15 year old girls being raped by grown men and they have to go to England to get an abortion and can't talk about it because it's shameful Mm -hmm. like it I I, it just I can't you know what it's still and do you know what it's still happening in Northern Ireland Northern Ireland you can't get an abortion in Northern Ireland you cannot part of the UK and you can't get an abortion like these stories are real. They're so real. They're so valid. And I've, I can assure you that anybody who's listening to this podcast knows a woman's had an abortion. I know three women that we have had an abortion. We all know women that have had abortions. Like, and we all know women that have had abortions and have been afraid and shamed and made feel like they did something wrong and that they're bad and disgusting and they're getting on planes and boats yeah. and hiding. Ireland's, Ireland is fabulous at covering up fucking everything. We shame and we hide and we cover up and it ha- it has to stop. Like it, 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 abortion, free legal abortion in Ireland is so important. Um, but it's still people are still, you know, trying to ruin it. And because the three year mark is coming up of when they have to reevaluate it, yeah. and there's people starting to like be like, we need to get rid of this out of the country. People are having casual sex because they know they can have an abortion. That's how little they think of women. There have been some genuinely upsetting and emotional reactions on the show this year. When dealing with such horrific subject matter, it becomes apparent that these are stories that need to be shared so that the tragic victims are remembered and that these heinous crimes are never forgotten. One of the most emotionally charged moments of 2021 came when Emma talked about 1998's Oma bombing and listed the names of the dead. Tyrone County Hospital alone treated 104 casualties with 44 of these having to be transferred to other hospitals around the country now no 104 when you say it doesn't sound that much oh, 104 but tiny hospitals. And only that, 104 at once yeah with like a, a doctor team of like 10 yeah and like missing limbs yeah. and like war this is a war yeah. scene like they're not built for this at all like. so this is from the troubles podcast dr dominic pinto was the first surgeon to arrive at tyrone county hospital great name isn't it and he said quote when I first came to the front of the hospital, it was absolutely quiet. What greeted me when I got into the main corridor was sheer pandemonium. 
pandemonium, sorry. This was not a major incident, but a major disaster of battlefield proportions. There were people lying in corridors of the accident emergency department, overflowing into radiology department. Some 240 injured people arrived within the first 45 minutes. Jesus Christ. So of the 29 who were killed on that day, 18 were Catholic and 9 were Protestant. And I just say that to show... This is a group that are trying to fight for the Catholics and trying to fight for yeah. the Irish. And you murdered 18 Catholics yeah. in cold blood. So their names were, I'm just going to give their names and their ages. James Barker, who was 12. Oh. Sean McLaughlin, 12. Oren Doherty, 8. And they were from County Donegal. Fernando Blasco Basalga, who was 12. Rocio Abad Ramos, who was 23. And they were from Spain. So two of the Spanish students died. Geraldine Breslin, 43. Gareth Conway, 18. Breda Devine, who was 1. Aidan Gallagher, who was 21, Brenda Logue, who was 17, Brian McCrory, who was 54, Sean McGrath was 61, Jolene Marlowe was 17. So this is one of the most horrible things. So there was a lady called Avril Moran, who was 30, Monaghan, I beg your pardon, Monaghan, who was 30, who was pregnant with twins. And her one-year-old daughter, Maura, was murdered. And her mother, Mary Grimes. So the entire family? They just wiped the family out. Elizabeth Rush, who was 57, and Philomena Skelton, who was 39. Deborah Ann Carfry, who was 20, Esther Gibson, who was 36, Olive Hawks, who was 60, Julia Hughes, who was 21, Anne McComb, who was 48, Samantha McFarland, who was 17, Alan Redford, Radford, sorry, who was 16, Vida Short, who was 56, Fred White, who was 60, Brian White, who was 26, and Lorraine Wilson, who was 15. So Sean McGrath was the last victim to die. He was in a critical condition in hospital for three weeks before dying from his injuries on the 5th of September 1998. So on six, Sunday the 16th of August, as people gathered, gathered in the leisure centre hoping to find some news of their unaccounted for family members, the RUC Chief Constable Ronnie Flanagan addressed the world's press at the scene. He said, quote, This is an attack, not carried out against the police or the army, but against the people of Oma." We have had men, women and children slaughtered, slaughtered by murderers who want to murder, slaughtered by murderers who have nothing else to offer but murder. (coughs) People who gave us a totally inaccurate warning, people who phoned to say there was a bomb close to the courthouse. And as our officers searched and moved people from the area of the courthouse, a bomb detonated some 400 yards away. There was international condemnation of the attack, with Britain's Prime Minister Tony Blair calling it, quote, an appalling act of savagery and evil. John Hume called the perpetrators of the bombing undiluted fascists. Sinn Féin's Martin McGuinness said this appalling act was carried out by those opposed to the peace process. While Jerry Adams said, I am totally horrified by this action. I condemn it without any equivocation whatsoever. McGuinness mentioned that both Protestants and Catholics alike were injured and killed, saying, quote, all of them were suffering together. I think all of them were asking the question why, because so many of them had great expectations, great hopes for the future. Now, this would be the first time that Jerry McAdams and Martin McGuinness publicly denounced a Republican terrorist yeah. bomb. They'd never done that before. And there had been a few, a few before this, like, yeah, yeah. and they never, but this was obviously because of what happened. It's often said on the show that we try to end each episode on a lighter note. Whether it's a funny chat or a ridiculous song from yours truly, today will be no exception and we're going to hope to raise uh, your mood after those particularly harrowing tales. So, out of all the stories told by Emma and Sarah Jane this year, one stood out as a defining moment of the show, for better or for worse. Whether it be online, on the Patreon, or on the Colin Cut This Out Facebook page, everyone was talking about sexy horses. So here is an excerpt from the listener's favourite story of 2021, The Kidnapping of Shergar. When the three journalists arrived at the Europa, they were contacted by phone and told to go to Maxwell's house, the coffee company on Onius. <laughs> <laughs> They were told to go to Maxwell's house to await further calls on orders from the police. Thompson kept the person talking as long as possible, but the caller rang off at 80 seconds before the call could be traced. There was a series of calls to Maxwell's house later that night, and at 1.30am, Thompson managed to keep the caller talking for over 90 seconds, which would have been enough to trace the call... He was told the person who was doing the call intercepts had finished his shift <laughs> at midnight and gone home. Fucked up. Oh, and they'd no one to come in. Doesn't this sound remarkably familiar? This is literally, I remember I listened to the case file episode and I never really didn't know that much about Sugar. And he was like, you could hear it in his voice that he was like, fucking Irish. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's the most Irish thing ever. <laughs> at 7am on the 12th of February, another call was put through to Maxwell's house, which said that things had gone wrong and that Shergar was dead. <gasps> Although a committee put together by the syndicate to coordinate the response later considered that this was a hoax. And also that they rang and went, things went wrong. <laughs> We've killed the horse. The horse got a gun somehow. <laughs> Self-defense. <laughs> like, what the fuck went wrong? Yeah. Just, they're calling her like he's got the gun <laughs> hit the deck lads like, check her no what went wrong <laughs> this poor horse for shopping <laughs> anyway go on sorry 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 although a committee put together for the syndicate to coordinate their response later considered that this was a hoax hoax Toby argues that as the call about the theft preceded Fitzgerald's return to Ballymoney i.e. before anyone knew about the theft and as the callers use the code phrase King, King Neptune, Neptune in their communications, it's more likely, excuse me, that the calls and the ensuing focus on the high profile activity in Belfast were undertaken to distract the authorities from what was happening to Shergar elsewhere. Oh, okay. So they were like... Bait switch. Yeah. Well, even like, give us 57 grand, horse dead. <laughs> Got out of control. <laughs> we don't know what happened. We came back to the house, he was having a rave. On the 9th of February, Thieves opened a second line of negotiation, contacting Ballymanny stood directly and speaking to Dreon. The call which came in at 4 or 5 p.m. was short. Dreon was not a fluent speaker of English and struggled to understand the thick fucking <laughs> Irish accent on the caller. The caller similarly had problems with Dreon's heavy French pronunciation. Oh, and 90 minutes later... 90 minutes? Yes. The caller tried again, with Dreon asking him to speak slowly. A demand of £2 million was made for the return of Shergar and a contact number in France, and for a contact number in France through which further negotiations could be made. Dreon provided the number of Aga Khan's French office. The syndicate which owned Shergar brought in a risk and strategic consulting from control risks to handle the negotiations. The negotiate, they negotiated from the Paris office with a series of telephone calls over four days. On Friday the 11th of February, the negotiators demanded proof that Shergar was still alive as there had been some speculation in the press that Shergar was dead. Well, they told some other people that he was dead. Yeah, so that's where the speculation came from. Yeah. The team said that the representative of the syndicate should go to Crofton Hotel in Dublin and ask for any messages for Johnny Logan. What in the name of God is this fucking nonsense? <laughs> uh, Stan Cosgrove went to the hotel and asked for messages. Armed members of the Special Detective Unit, the Domestic Security Agency for the Gardner, were present and in an undercover role. There was no messages delivered. None for Johnny Logan? No, no. no. no Grant. Um, he was too busy winning your mission. What's that song he's famous for? When me. No. Yeah, I do that. Is it? Yeah. Hold that for a minute. I need to take my cardigan off. Okay, go for it. Me. He's huge in Germany. Tell the Germans love him. He's huge in Germany. Mad dick. <laughs> <laughs> Is that fact checked? Is that true? Yes. <laughs> Mad ginormous penis. Right. <laughs> so there was no messages delivered and Cosgrove returned home after waiting shortly afterwards the negotiator received a phone call from the teams angry at the presence of the police they said how fucking dare you how dare you uh, and threatening that if any members of the gang were captured or killed the negotiator the negotiators and the police would be murdered in retribution did none of them ask them like send us some proof the horse is still alive put them on the phone yeah put them put them on the phone <laughs> Put him on the phone. And put him on the phone, not another horse, because I yeah. know the sound of it. I know the sound of that horse. Put him on the fucking phone. They're looking after me, I'm grand, yeah. yeah. I'm all right. I'll send you a picture of me with the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> this poor horse. This is unusable. No, it's not. <laughs> we need a bit of laugh. Go on. All right, here we go. On Saturday, the 12th of February, the thieves contacted the negotiators and said the proof had been left at the Rosnery Hotel. When this was picked up, it contained several Polaroid pictures of a sexy horse. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I don't know what it is. This is because 
are not talking about people dying. This is why we're like this now. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to... Okay. No, at least that's there. <laughs> I'm taking that out. <laughs> Absolutely lying. <laughs> so it showed... Pictures Sean and Shergar. Some of the pictures showed the horse's head next to a copy of the Irish Times, which was dated. <laughs> so Irish. Put his glasses it's on. And a little paddy cap. Oh, my stomach hurts. Go on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Go on, go on. <laughs> oh, it's the most Irish fucking shit I've ever heard in my life. Sometimes the girls find stories that aren't just long enough to make a full episode. So this year, Sarah Jane compiled her favourites into a special show called Dumbass Crimes. Among these idiotic assailants, one stood out above the rest and put himself into the pantheon of the most ridiculous MMI characters of all time. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Monk Kevin. So, uh, uh, there you go, that's just for you. <laughs> um, St. Kevin of Glendalough is known for the founding of the Wicklow, Mon- Wicklow Monastery and his love of... So do you know about St. Kevin? Not really, no. So the mon- the monk that like started the monastery in Glendalough, what- he was actually just a recluse. Okay. Like, he's a fucking weird dude. Rec- you know, sometimes I look recluse. at recluses and I'm like, is there dead right? Yeah, and he was like really, like what people knew him for was like he was super friendly to the animals. Aww. No? Mm. Okay. <laughs> However, his rise to sainthood was not without incident. Born in the final years of the 15th century, the young boy may have been deemed holy at birth. So he like he was like deemed as like a very special child. Where did they get this shit from? However, his be- behavior was anything but Christian. Oh no! Kevin was a fell-tempered and difficult child who hated people and preferred the company of animals. But many people could blame him. Well, he was definitely fucking them. Kevin was sent to the monastery. Listen, he's dead a long time. We're okay. There's Kevin, no li- there's no libel here. Kevin was sent to the monastery at the age of just seven. But oh, I think they that's wanted him out with that yeah, guy. I think his mom was like, "Get, get this, this little shit, little out, shit out!" And upon being ordained, ordained, he pledged a life of abstinence and began to live in a small cave as a hermit. He was forced back into the community due to his miracles. What were his miracles? Who the fuck knows? The young man was blessed with good looks. <laughs> I'm pretty sure like Graham was this guy back in the day. Just live in the cave. Like I think, I think honestly, if Graham had been born at the end of the 15th century, yeah, I'm like, uh, there's either something inside him, or we need to off he go up to the cave now. Into the cave. So anyway, Kevin was sent to the monastery. Blah, blah blah. The young man was blessed with good looks and brought the attention to himself and a local woman. So oh. Kathleen set her sights on oh, seducing. Kathleen. Now the next uh, sentence I'm going to say, I didn't write this. Go. On seducing the poor monk. Uh, sorry. Sorry. Like, I why, think you'll why? find he was having sex with sheep. So maybe yeah. she was the poor Kathleen. Now it's said that Kathleen used to dress provocatively Ooh, in red. She had her ankle out. And followed the cell. She used to show she him one ankle. her toe. Just like, hello. <laughs> hello, Kevin. <laughs> hello, monk Kevin. She's just opened the cave. Hello. <laughs> Shoving her, put her ankle down. <laughs> hello, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin, are you in there? Kevin, why do you never talk to me? <laughs> Leave that sheep alone! <laughs> we can't use any of this! We can use it all! Oh my god. So anyway, she used to dress provocatively in red and followed the celibate Kevin until one day she followed him into the woods. Now this is a story I heard as a kid. Okay. And she pushed him too far. Um, desperate not to fall to temptation. This is also the story that I was told. Kevin threw himself into a bed of nettles and in a temper tore some off and beat Kathleen. And she, he beat her towards the edge of the lake. Whereupon he then forced her into the water and drowned her. Fuck! So in Glendalough there's three lakes and the middle lake is where this apparently happened. What the fuck? The tale of Kathleen's murder has been reported for centuries and both poets and musicians alike have immortalised the tale. Long after the death of St. Kevin, so and he was, is a canon, canonised? Canonised, yeah. Uh, of St. Kevin, the failed seductress 
Kathleen still apparently haunts the ruins of Glendalough Monastery. So the wow. story is that like the red woman of the lake. That's ah. like when I was a kid, that was like the horror story or the ghost story we were told. And he murdered someone and was still made a saint. And he was he murdered her. And like he absolutely did murder her. Like so all of the other shit of him like being really good to animals <coughs> and whatever. Whatever. Like he was a fucking recluse that lived in a cave. And, and then he murdered was sent a, away and then drowned a woman. by his mother at seven to be like, get the fucking And let's be honest, probably mm-hmm. raped her and then realised she was gonna go tell someone and, and drowned then, her in the fucking and lake. Also said that she she had just been up there constantly trying to get her get to over, ride him. Get over yourself, Kevin. Um, and then he, let, he then he drowned her. Get over yourself, Kevin. That's the end Sarah, of the story. Good job. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Wasn't Genuinely, that fun? thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. Like, That's what we need before I do more death. So there you have it, folks. A wee compilation episode of the best of Murder Most Irish in 2021. I really hope you enjoyed it and I hope it whets your appetite for 2022 where we're going to have a bumper year planned uh, with even more content and even more ways to interact with the show. On behalf of myself, Emma and Sarah Jane, I'd like to thank you again for all your support this year. We could not do this without you. And I'd also like to give a huge shout out to all the amazing people over at our Patreon and all the gang over at Colin Cut This Out, the Facebook page. So before we end on your favourite song from this year just a reminder that you can follow us on Instagram at Irish. you can support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Irish. and if you really want to you can follow me on Instagram I'm at Maximilian underscore Foy so that's all from us in 2021 the girls will be back to see you next episode and until then Happy New Year Feminists! Murder Most Irish merchandise available now from teespring.com. Plain, boring old tea's getting you down? Hey, buddy, does your huddy scream fuddy duddy? Spruce up your wardrobe with brand new and improved MMI apparel exclusively from teespring.com. Don't be a mug? Buy one of ours. Like to steal things? Conceal your identity at the local shop and go with a kooky face mask. Be the swingingest crazy bag lady on the block with our organic totes. Murder Most Irish merchandise at teespring.com for all your murder feminist needs. Teespring.com is a third-party company. All stock manufacturing, purchases and refunds are handled exclusively by them. Any queries should be directed to www.teespring.com.